Heavenly Father, we give you praise this morning for your goodness. Lord, even in our failures, Lord, you are good. Lord, even in our bad days, you are good. Lord, even in the darkest, worst situations imaginable, God, you are still good. Lord, when this world was covered in darkness, Lord, I think of Noah. Lord, even as you covered the earth with water, Lord, you were still good. Lord, when the entire nation of Israel turned their back on you, God, when we personally have turned our backs on you and done what we want to do with our own selves, our own lives, Lord, you were still good. And so, Lord, I just pray as we go into your word this morning, as we celebrate, boy, they would be full of things, giving and gratitude. Lord, be ready to put our hands to the, to the plow, oh God, and begin to allow your Holy Spirit to work on us, to chisel our hearts, to chisel our lives, and to mold us, oh God, to be the good creation that you've created us, that you've made us and destined us to be, oh God. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Maybe what I'll do, Glory or somebody, if you just close those doors, the babies can cry as loud as they want to, and it won't be as big of a distraction. I love the sound of kids crying. I kind of like the sound of them crying in church, but I love the sounds of having kids in church. It's such a great sound, and um, yeah, you know, I love, I get distracted really easily, okay, if you don't already know this about me, and so, you know, it's just one of those things that I do what I can to eliminate the distractions so that I could do what God wants us to do. All right, let's go to Philippians 1, 3 to 7 this morning. Yeah. I know I've said it before, it's not good to drink coffee and preach, but I left my water bottle at home yet again. Every day, I keep the water bottle by the door, and I say, okay, let's bring it to church today, because my wife, being the nice person, the good wife that she is, last week for the picnic, said, hey, my husband might want some water to drink at the picnic. I'll bring his water bottle from the office. Well, that means I've had no water to drink all week, because my water bottle's at home. It's my responsibility. It's my bottle. But it's sitting by the door, which I walk by every time I leave. Now, I blamed the kids because they moved it like four feet over. My wife was like, dude, the kids moved it four feet. You could still see it. And I was like, it's their fault because that's what parents do. They blame their kids. All right, Philippians. This is obviously a book of Paul. Uh, Some people might try to debate that, but it's pretty obvious because um, it's just his style. Now, maybe he had someone else write and he dictated or whatever. But... A letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. This is what he says in in chapter 1, verse 3. And we're just going to keep going until I get bored, okay? We might read the whole book. You with me? You can say no, it's okay. I'm not going to do all that far. As much as I'd love to do that. I love the way Paul starts. He He always starts so friendly. I thank my God every time I remember you. You know, isn't that the nicest? Like, that's like the best thing anyone could ever say. You know, every time that I pray, I remember you. I think of you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Look at that. It got better. You know, not only does he think about you and pray for you, he says, I think about you with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How many have heard that verse before? Good. This is going to be familiar, familiar ground. It is right for me to feel this way about you all since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, to the glory and the praise of God. So last week, so how does that work out? Well, this entire book is essentially a book of encouragement. Uh, that Paul is writing to, to the church in Philippi. He wants to encourage the Philippians to live out their lives as heavenly citizens, citizens of a heavenly colony, so to speak, as evidenced by their growing commitment of service to God and to one another. This is the way of life that Paul has been living. He's been encouraging churches all through his missionary journeys to live, and this is the one church that seems to get it. He's saying, okay, this is what it means to be a kingdom citizen, and you're doing it. Good job. Keep it up. I am with you, at least in my thoughts and in my prayers, as we just read in the word this morning. It's also evident in the lives of Paul, Timothy, and the person who delivered this letter. And if I could say his name, it'll be a good day, Epaphroditus. That wasn't too bad. Epaphroditus, who he speaks of later on and kind of talks up a little bit. Because how many know when Paul sends a letter, he only typically sends it with somebody that he knows and that he trusts. Now, I, you know, it's thought that he's probably written from Rome. He's written it, writing it from prison. And it's amazing to see a guy with so much joy, so much encouragement, so much excitement for this church. And he's in the middle of a prison. And this time, he doesn't seem to be getting out any time soon. He's probably waiting for his trial or whatever is going to take place in Rome, and this is what's going on. Um, this had a special significance for Paul since it was the first church he founded in Europe. Um, if you have kids, I don't, not that you love your firstborn more, but you tend to know them the best. I, I, I mean, I'm such a young person involved in parenthood. I mean, Mackenzie is four now, right? Uh, but there's something special about the oldest child. There's just something different about the first. It's the one that you screwed up on the most, okay? And yet they're still alive. And you go, praise God, they're still alive. All right. Are you the oldest? This is great. And the favorite. Yeah, Leland is my favorite son, okay? Um, I can't choose between the girls. Although I'm pretty sure Catherine will die young. That's not a word of prophecy. It's just a prediction. Uh, maybe she won't. I don't know. I really pray. It's not go there. Okay. Paul had a special place in his heart because this was the first church he planted in Europe. And, uh, you know, maybe that's why he's so encouraging. He's like, look, you guys got it and you're doing it and blah, 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 blah. But he, he looks at this church and he says, I am so encouraged because of the way that you exemplify Christ in your lives. The way that when I, when I hear the reports of the things that are going on in Philippi, I see Jesus moving and working. He's, he sees their gospel-focused, gospel-centered life. It was exactly what Paul wanted for the Philippians to live, and it's exactly what Jesus had done with Paul. It's exactly how Jesus pictured it to happen, and it's taking place here in in Philippi. The, the new life, being alive again in Christ, this is the, the, the prime example in Paul's eyes saying, hey, good job, keep it up. But here's, here's the thing. He's saying, just because you're doing such a good job at it, don't stop. Keep going. There's more. Just because he started the work, you're doing the work, 
He will carry you through until he's gospel-centered, God-focused, God-centered life, movement happening. Things are, things are taking form out of your church. But don't stop because God has a plan beyond where you're at now. You know, this is, this is a healthy congregation in contrast to, you know, some of the other letters that Paul has written to Corinth. Uh, if you look at the disciplines that he, he writes in Corinthians or in Galatians, you know, there's one translation. Um, it's not my favorite. I can't remember which one it was. It's kind of like one of these really easy to read translations. And, uh, they, I mean, I, I believe in them. They have the, their place. But this is, this is the interpretation of, of Galatians chapter 3. The opening line says, you stupid Galatians. You know, I have, I have my best friends, my close friends. I don't call them stupid, you know. So, and, you know, some other friends I have, I do. But maybe not in those words. But we have people that we know that they just don't get it, right? And you go, that seems kind of, we don't use this word in our house, that seems kind of stupid, you know. Uh, you stupid Galatians. Now, I don't think that's the, the exact intent, but the harshness, the, the burn of the words is, is essentially what Paul was getting at. But we don't see that in, in Philippians, he says, hey, look, you guys are healthy, you're getting it, you're doing it. And they're going like, hey, can we take a break now? Like, we, we've arrived, we've got there. And Paul's going, no, keep going. No, keep going. The world is too perilous. The gospel is too glorious for you to be content where you are now. God's goodness never stops, neither should you. Keep going, it doesn't stop. They must follow Paul's example, press on towards the goal, so that you will receive the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can find that in 3.14, another great verse that maybe we'll get to today. And so let's look at maybe a couple things this morning for our own context in relation to the, the Philippians. So obviously we know that God has created us. He made us very good, which is pretty crazy to think of. Um, but, you know, it's like God looking in a mirror saying, hey, that's very good. Because how many of that were created in God's image? And you know what's awesome, though, is that it also says that we're created uniquely in our mother's wombs. He formed you, and you realize you're fearfully, you're wonderfully made, but you're unique. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything about you inside and out. He knows all the good, all the bad. From the beginning to the end of your life, he knows the first day and the last day. He knows everything and more than we ever could about ourselves. And he looks at you and he says, you're very good. Now, we, but just as fast as things turn, God makes a promise. He says, look, I know in the middle of your pain, I know that you're, you're suffering right now. I know that you feel alone. I know that you feel like you have to hide from me. But God says, I'm with you. I'm here and I will make a way for you. I have a hope and a future for you. This is what he says to Adam and Eve in the garden. Par big paraphrase, obviously. He says, I will make a way for you because you are so good. I value you so much. I love you so much that I will make a way for you. And so as he has made a way, as we, we see generations of, of people that have chosen to serve God and walk away from God and they serve God and they walk away from God and then they try and they fail, they try and they fail. Finally, the Messiah comes and we know him as Jesus Christ. And he comes and he says, look, only I can pay the price because only I am perfect. No matter how hard you try, you know, you can do everything right as much as you want to try, but sooner or later you're going to fail because you are not perfect. You are born with sin. Believe it or not, pastors are not perfect. 
I, I fail regularly. You know, I, I, I've been challenged more and more. Um, it's just kind of this funny thought. You know, the littlest things, not, you know, that we don't think of it as bad. But you realize when you look into these little things that they don't come from a place of goodness. They come from a place of evil because we were born with it. But when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he begins to create a new life, a rebirth, a newness in us. Now, we've talked about all this before. You've heard this gospel message before, but it's important because it is the essence of this road to goodness. It's important to remember and to understand that Jesus in his perfection, has transformed us and is transforming us from the inside out to be the perfect, very good people that God intended us to be in the first place. And if we don't come humbly to his throne, we will continually fall into the patterns of this world instead of being transformed into the likeness and the image of Christ. So, the first one, spiritual progress and a gospel-centered Life. What does that mean? I just told you. What is the gospel? Accepting the fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and he is the only way to the Father. And when you live your life through that lens, knowing that Jesus is the only way, the decisions that we make, the way that we look at the people around us, the way that we raise our kids, the way that we, we go and do our jobs, the way that we, we spend our money, the way that we save our money, the way that we, I should really start using more positive things, like the way we save our money as opposed to spend and whatever. But, you know, the way that we live our life changes when we look at it through the lens and remember that I am a child of God. I am a new creation in Christ. Things begin to change. And they're evidenced by the love and service that we have towards other people. So if you want to see the evidence of God in your life, be humble, love, and serve. Say it with me. Be humble, love, and serve. The supreme model, obviously, for progress in faith is Jesus himself. And the centerpiece of the Philippians is the magnificent anthem of Christ, or the praise, or the hymn of Christ. What do they do? They sing his praises in all that they do. On the good days, the bad days, the days they're feeling persecuted, the days that they're going about their business, celebrates this with them. He says, look, God will carry you from this day to the day of completion. He will complete this good work that he has started. Don't give up. Don't stop serving. Don't stop loving. Don't stop being Jesus to the world around you until he says so. Jesus willingly let go of privileges. Think of this for a moment. He really let go of the privilege of being God himself so that he could come walk this earth as a servant to those who turned their backs on him. And he came down, and he came down to serve you. He came down to serve a sinner like me. He took the humiliation of the cross to liberate the world from sin. And in return, he ascended to the highest form of glory, receiving universal worship as God's holy Messiah. Those who follow Christ's example have the hope that God will also vindicate them to be cleared of the blame and wrongdoing. So no matter how hard we try, if we were to stand before God, no matter what we've done, it would never be enough. I remember seeing this monologue, and I used to hate monologue in these single-person skits. I thought they were really cheesy and ridiculous. But there's one that I saw that was rather, rather powerful and tend to struck a chord with me. And and it was actually done by one of our teachers, and it was so ridiculous because it was a monologue, and it was ridiculous, and I hated those things. But the message was so real, and it hit me so deep in the, in the middle of my bitterness towards what was happening in a chapel service at school. 
Ugh, you shouldn't think these ways about your teachers, but I did because I'm, I'm me. Anyway, so she, she's doing her thing, and I don't remember all the lines because I didn't want to pay attention because I thought it was stupid. But she's up there, and she's doing her thing, and, and she has all these rags, you know, and, and it talks about all the things that she's done. And, you know, they're, they're, some of them are, are, are you know, they're, they're spotless because she got, like, a new one every time that she did something great. It was like a little star on the calendar. And finally, there's the, the, the day comes in the story. She breathes her last breath, and she stands before God, and she says, here, look at all the gold stars that I have. Look at all the, the, the hard work that I've done. And she stands before the Father, and he, he goes, what is this? These are nothing but just dirty old rags. There's nothing here of value. Because no matter what you do, you cannot save yourself. I already sent my son to do the work that you're trying so hard to do. And in the middle of you trying so hard to work and take care of yourself, you forgot all of those that were with you, that were behind you. You didn't love anybody. You didn't serve anybody. You did it all for yourself. You did it all on your own. And that's not what I need. That's not good enough. No matter how hard we try, it's never going to be good enough. That's why we have Christ at our center, because he is not just good enough, He's more than enough because the God that we serve, the son that came to save us is good. He was tempted, he was tried, and he came out through the fire pure and holy, still standing, being the good God that he is. No matter what came his way, he still stood the trials. Which means we can be confident that even in our trials, even when we're walking through the fire, even when we're tempted and when we're tried, that God will never leave us. That we never have to walk through this world alone. Having a Christ-centered life moving forward in our faith means that we are never walking through this alone. We always have somebody there with us, at our side, going before the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6 you got the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. you got the sword of the word. you have the, the shield of faith. You know, you have all these things. But what does, it do, what does it not have? It doesn't have a back plate. Because God never intended you to run from the battles. Because God's fighting them for you. He's standing there in front of you. He's giving you the tools to withstand the fire. He doesn't intend for you to turn around and run away from the fight. He's bringing you through the fight. Now, there's a funny joke in there that you could say, you know, I was, never, I was always taught not to run away from, to, to walk away from a fight. I prefer to run. But God tells us to run through the fire. I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. It's perfectly fine to do that. I do it all the time. It's not by our hand. It's by his. Now, maybe you've heard me say this before. Uh, so if, if we were able to save ourselves by the good works that we could do, could you imagine what it would be like when we got to heaven? Hey, hey, what did, what did you do to graph when you got there? You know, how, did, how did you get here? You know what I did? Oh, yeah. You should have seen what I did to get here, guys. You know, Christians talk about themselves enough. Um, do you think we want to hear them talk about it for the rest of eternity, about how good they are? Not at all. No, we're created to praise God. We're created to give God glory. That's our purpose. So God comes to do the work because he gets the glory. 
And so if we want to have a Christ-centered life, if we want to move forward in our faith, if we want God to complete the good work that he has started in you, the moment you decided to choose to follow Jesus, and the moment you decided again and again and again to follow Jesus, we trust that it's him that does the good work in us and not ourselves because we want God to get the glory. We don't want to hold it in ourselves. And when we give God the glory, the focus of our life changes. And the way we make decisions, the way we serve our families, the way we serve the world around us changes because of the goodness of God that is living in breathing inside of us. It's not something that happened yesterday. It's something that is actively happening today and tomorrow and forevermore. Genuine spiritual progress is rooted in what God has done, what he is doing, and what God will continue to do. His faithfulness ensures that it will be with believers until Jesus returns. We have confidence that God who has saved them will never ever let them go and they will inherit, we will inherit the eternal reward, the ultimate reward. It's not about what you are. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Being alive in Christ is about who you are. You know, typically when someone dies, they don't read their resume at the funeral. They might say something along the lines of, you know, they worked at this company for X amount of years. They did this for X amount of years. But more often than not, most of the conversation goes and talks about what kind of person they are or they were. And so at my funeral, I really hope, you know, they, they'll, they'll probably go to the list. Here's all the places that Pastor Gary pastored at. They might read through that list, but you know what? I don't really care about those things. I mean, I love pastoring here, and I care about you. But you know what? I'd rather be known for who I was when I was here as opposed to what I did when I was here. Because no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, even if, even if the world gets turned upside down, at least someone will be able to say my prayer is, is that he was a godly person. You know, maybe they had a rough go of it, but he was a good person because God was good. The reality is, is many times they're not. What makes us good? Jesus makes me good. I love Christian funerals. I love hearing, I mean, it's so sad, but I love hearing when someone dies that's a believer. And so I, I shared a few weeks ago, uh, seven, eight weeks ago, this coming Thursday, our, our secretary that was in the office in Godrich with us when I was a youth pastor, she passed away suddenly in her sleep. She was 59 years old. And I mean, I'm, I'm still sort of in shock. I still can't believe it. And, and I'm sitting there feeling sad, you know, not really knowing what to feel, actually, because I'm almost shocked. And I go, I am so excited for her. I am so happy for her. I mean, we, had, we didn't know each other terribly long, but we had some really good moments, you know, standing at the front desk in the church and bouncing ideas and talking, all of these things. And she was a really nice person to work with. And it was so evident the the power of God, the life of Christ that lived inside of her. And I'm so excited for her. And we, I watched the funeral. They, they put it online later, and I was able to watch it. And, every, her, you know, her, her brothers got up, her, her dad got up to speak, and their four kids got up to share, and then her husband got up to share. And all of them talked about not what she did. They talked about the kind of person that she was and the evidence of Jesus Christ in her life. Spiritual progress is allowing God to do his thing yesterday, when I made the decision today as I continue to choose to follow him, and forevermore tomorrow as he begins to work in me and direct my steps, direct my paths the way that he would see me go. Number two, goodness brings us joy, believe it or not. 
uh, as I mentioned, Paul's writing this letter from prison, and yet he still is able to find joy. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time as we talked about joy about three weeks ago. Um, but if spiritual progress is rooted in what God has done, is doing, and will do, our joy also comes from the same source. We are thankful for what has transpired, for the finished work of the cross, for the imminent salvation that we received that is readily available today. We're thankful and for the joy that is so we're thankful for the joy that is happening in the present, regardless of circumstances, because God is continually working on me. One of the first songs I ever learned on guitar was this little song, I don't even remember all the words. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. He loves me as I am. He helps me when I pray. He is the potter. I'm the clay. Maybe you've heard the song. Maybe you don't. First song I learned on the guitar, and I sang it, and it sounded awful, but it was cute because I was little. And those words, even though I don't remember them all, they've stuck with me ever since. He's the potter. I'm the clay. Now, I've, I, I don't like pottery. I'm not really artistic. I hate arts and crafts. My kids love it, so I do it for them. But I don't even know why people would do this, but they, they get the clay. It's all wet and gooey and mushy and whatever. And they begin to, to form the clay into something cool and beautiful or practical. I like practical. I will do it for the practical. You know, you get a bowl or a cup or a mug, whatever the case may be. They take these things and they form them. Now, sometimes clay is really easy to work with, right? You warm it up, you add water, and you just mix it in, and it turns out beautiful and a, a nice structure, a nice form. And it's, you know, it, it feels so nice as it gets smoother, and you take away some of those hard edges, and sort of the things are good. But you know that to make clay bowls last a long time, or if you want to add milk for your cereal in a clay bowl, you better make sure that it's had time to harden and go through the fire. Because if it doesn't go through the fire and it doesn't harden, you're going to add milk and you're going to be eating clay cereal for breakfast. I don't know if that would taste very good. Maybe if you like to eat dirt, you could. There's an expression, eat dirt. I don't know what that means. Maybe I, I do and I really don't want to, okay? So what am I trying to say is God will take you, he will form you, but then he's got to test you. You have to be tested and approved to know that God is actually with you through the fire. And so they take the clay and they put it into a hot furnace and they let it get hard and it, and it, you know, it forms and it's, and it's there. And, you know, sometimes that hurts. It's hard to walk through those hard things. It's hard to walk through the hard times. But yet we still have joy because we know that God is with us. We know that God is forming us. He's molding us. He's shaping us to be the person that we ought to be. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes people get old and crusty. Or, you know, you, you, you drop a, a clay thing on the ground and it shatters or it breaks. And you got you to gotta change it, right? You got you to gotta restore it again. You got to make it new or it starts to wear out. And so how many have you ever taken something that's hard and you want to reshape it? What do you got to do? You got to take the hammer and you got to take the chisel. I didn't bring my hammer this morning because I didn't think I'd have any volunteers. But as a couple board members, I can have volunteers. But anyways, you take a hammer and a chisel and you start, you know, chiseling away. That would kind of hurt a little bit more. But sometimes as we begin to experience the joy of the Lord, we begin to walk with him, we think we've arrived. Okay? You know, I've paid my dues. I've, I've tithed for, for 20 years, and I've, I've served the church for 20 years. It's time for me to, to take a break. All right? It's time for me just to, to sit back and, and uh, you know, I've done my, my due diligence. And Paul is going, no, don't stop. Keep going. Keep going and keep going. God who started the work isn't finished with you yet. 
Not until he calls you home. He's not finished with you yet. Keep serving, keep working, keep doing the things that God wants you to do. And sometimes we forget that. We pause and, and when we get, get the, you know, this, this is the expression that I learned from my mother, a kick in the butt, all right? She threatened it many times. Many times I needed it. But sometimes we need that motivation and sometimes that motivation hurts, right? Getting chiseled away into the person that God wants us to be, if we're not humble, if we're not, if we're not walking with him to begin with, it's like chiseling a hard piece of clay. It hurts and it breaks and it rips us apart. But it makes us who God wants us to be. And even once we get through the fire and we, we go through the hardening experience and we go through the, the training, so to speak, as we go through the trials that life throws at us, the loss of a job, a, a, you know, even gaining of a job and, you know, the hurts that we feel, the, you name the situation, you fill in the blank for your own life. We trust and know that God is with us even through the fire. There's a Jesus culture song. Maybe we'll teach it and, and sing it sometime in church. But these are the words. And it's called Alive in You. It goes, from the beginning to the end, all my life is in your hands. This whole world may hold me down, but I can never drown you out. I'm not merely flesh and bone. I was made for something more. You are God. You are the great I am. Breath of life, I breathe you in. Even in the fire, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive in you. Though the dark, I hear your voice. Rising up, I will rejoice. For I was lost, but now I'm found. Because even death can't hold you down. Even in the fire, I'm alive in you. You are strong in my brokenness, sovereign over every step. Even in the fire, I'm alive, I'm alive in you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Christ who lives within me. From the beginning to the end, you deserve the glory. You deserve the glory. Because even in the fire, I'm alive in you. You are strong in my brokenness, sovereign. Sovereign over every step. Even in the fire, I'm alive, I'm alive in you. And so even in this, this process of becoming like Christ, you know, Paul is in prison. Um, prisons today aren't very pretty. Prisons in Paul's day are definitely nothing to be desired. And yet he says, even in the fire, I'm alive in you. And not only does he take joy in the fact that Christ is with him and he's alive, he's saying, hey, look, I'm so excited for you because God is alive in you. And how many times have you ever been in prison and you wish somebody else was in your spot? And you go, I really should be the other guy sitting here. Or, you know, you're in detention if you're, you know, in high school or whatever. And you go, it wasn't my fault. It was his fault. I really wish he was the one sitting here right now. Even in the fire, I'm alive in you. And we see so much joy that comes out of his situation. So much encouragement saying, hey, keep fighting the good fight. Keep running on towards the goal so you receive the prize in heaven, your eternal reward. Keep going. Don't stop. This is not the time and place. Not until the Lord calls you home. Keep going. Because I am alive in Jesus. He is alive within me. He is with me. Finally, we're not good because, you know, people like being good. You know, people talk about you. Oh, he's really good. He's a really nice person. You know, people say that about me sometimes. You know, he, I really, he's really nice. You know, I don't care if I'm nice. I mean, I, I do to a point because we're supposed to be nice and friendly, blah, 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 blah. People say, I don't care if they think I'm nice. I want them to see God in me. You know, people tell me, you're, you know, you're really nice. And I say, you know, not all the time. I really don't feel like it some days. 
You know, sometimes you walk down the street and you got to remember, oh yeah, smile so people know that you're not grumpy on the inside. We're not good for our sake, so people tell us that we're nice. You know, I, I hear about, it's not about the stars. We're not good for our sake. We're not good to make a good name for ourselves. Look at the Tower of Babel. They said, hey, let's make a good name for ourselves and build a tower to heaven to show everybody how good we are. You want to see what happened to them? Not a good, good end to that story. No, we don't do it for their sake. We don't do it for what people will say about us. We do it for God's sake. We are good for God's sake. For God's sake, be good. Okay? If you don't remember anything, remember that. We see that the first petition in Paul's prayer, that was we just read in Philippians, that's, by the way, was a prayer that he wrote for them, is that God would cause the fundamental Christian virtue of love to abound more and more, and that it be accompanied with knowledge and discernment, so that the Philippians' love would find expressions in wise actions, and the, truly, and the world would truly benefit others from the gospel of God and bring glory to God. He's saying, look, I want you to be filled with love. I want you to be filled with humility and knowledge and discernment because there's a world out there that needs to experience the character traits of God. Now, you keep reading through this, this great, awesome book. I'm trying to remember. He says, and this is my prayer that your love may be abound more and more in knowledge and the depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best, what is pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You know what all those things are? Those are good things. Those are the good things of God. We look on the wall over here, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Those are good things of God. He even has goodness in there. He's saying, look, I want the world to see these things in you because God is good, and we want the world to see God through you. So be good for God's sake. Do not simply, this does not imply that instantaneous spiritual, excuse me, perfection happens but rather it's an increasing likeness to Christ. It's not an overnight thing. Sometimes we pray, God, just, just change me right now, and we don't realize that we have to take the steps through the fire to actually show the world that God is with us. Because believe it or not, people are, are watching. They're paying attention. And when you proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life, and you tell people, hey, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I do this and that, uh, they're going to they're gonna talk. Whether it's nice things or not, they're going to they're gonna talk, and they're going to be watching you and sometimes you're going to stumble and you're going to fall and and you look and say look my, my God is bigger than my failings my God's going to pick me up and carry me through this moment they're going to see when you walk through the fire and they're going to go you survived that and you survived that with a smile on your face and you yeah I have the joy of the Lord why do you do it because I serve a good God how do you handle the stress how do you handle that weight how do you handle what you're going through how do you handle this I serve a good God because he's with me. He doesn't leave me. He doesn't forsake me. He doesn't expect me to fight this battle on my own. He's with me. People are watching and they want to know. He gives you knowledge and discernment and wise actions and people notice. The fruit of the Spirit comes through Jesus Christ and it results in the glory and praise of God. If we do it, then God does not get the glory. It's us that gets the glory, but when it's God that does it, he gets the glory. All right, here's another favorite verse. Romans 8, 28. One of my absolute favorite verses. I heard it when I was eight years old. I think I even preached on it in February, believe it or not. One of my favorite, I don't even need the Bible, but I'm going to read it so I get it 
accurate. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Some ESV says, and we know for those who love God, if you love God, all things work together for good. So, you know, just keep on trucking. Things will be fine. He will work it. It'll be good. You will feel good. You will be good because God will work it together. Now, yeah, you know, is there truth to that statement? Yes, there is. But the statement isn't about you. Okay? The statement isn't about you feeling good. It's not about making you feel better about your situation. Do we need to have joy through it? Yes, absolutely. That joy comes from God. Sometimes we have to pray, God, turn my mourning into dancing. I don't mean when you get up in the morning. I mean like your suffering, your distress. God, turn this, this moment into dancing because I need joy like I've never felt before. My mom always tells this story. There's a, there's a song, You Have Turned My Morning Into Dancing, and we had it on a CD. And I was, I don't know however old I was, at least in after, sometime after grade four, whatever, some morning, she was just having a really bad morning, like such a grumpy morning. I mean, you know, we all have those days, right? And she's sitting at the table literally with a frown on her face. I didn't even look at her. I walked out of my room that morning, walked down the hallway of our trailer, went to the CD player, put the CD in, put the song on, and hadn't talked to her at all in the morning, put the song on repeat, you have turned my morning into dancing, went back to my room, got dressed for the day, and did my thing, and had the song playing in the background. And she's sitting there going, well, that's weird. <laughs> I'm having a really grumpy morning, grumpy day. This coffee that I'm drinking here isn't helping me. No, still nothing. Yet I come out, you know, whether it was a prayer or God just saw her where she was, he put on this song and she just, just begins to break down and saying, okay, God, obviously you see me where I am. I know that you are good. God works all things together for good to those who love him or are called according to his purpose. This isn't about you feeling good or having a good day. Yes, God works things together. You never know how God will use a situation, a crisis for his glory, but it's about showing his goodness. It's about working things together for his goodness because it talks about his purpose and his will, and it goes into, you know, he predestined you to do all these things, yada, yada, yada. He's saying, look, things may never get better in your situation. You know, they certainly didn't get better for Paul. Did you know what happened to Paul? He died, okay? He was killed. All right, he didn't live a nice long life. He died. Yeah, he was persecuted. Things did not get better for him, yet he still stood and said, my God is a good God. My God is with me, and I believe my God is so big that he's also with you. He's omnipresent. He's not just with me. He's also with you. So don't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. Don't stop until the Lord calls you home. You know, we tell people everything will be okay, and yet, it will be. One day when I'm in heaven, everything will be okay. And until that day comes, I will continue to lean on the Lord and Savior of my life, Jesus Christ, to see me through from beginning to end. My God is strong. My God is mighty. My God is so good. There's lots of songs about God's goodness. We could sing a lot of them. We are called according to his will and his purpose to love God in all situations, to praise him in all situations. No matter how hard it is even to take a breath, when the weight of the world is crushing us, my God is still good and he is still with you because God is a glorious God. So to be alive in goodness requires us to love and to serve others. Show the world that God is alive in you. 
even through the fire, show them. Serve them. Say a kind word. You know, sometimes it's just a simple smile on the street. You know, just, just show those pearly whites, even if it's really hard. You know, they say if you smile long enough, even when you're grumpy, it tricks your brain into thinking you're happy. You know, that's, I, don't, I don't believe that's a coincidence or a mistake. To be alive in goodness continually means forward motion. You know, we might go through a slow season where it's just a, kind of a breath of fresh air. It's like a, it's like a climber, mountain climber, hiker, you know. We did a hike a few weeks ago. DeGraff was there, and Frank led that, and a couple others. And, you know, you go up hills, you go down hills, and it's nice when you get to the top of the hill and you get to go down the hill, right? But then you come across another hill, and sometimes the hill is steep, sometimes there's loose rocks, and it's hard work to get to the top. And, but no matter what, forward motion, being alive and goodness continually means forward motion forward motion, continually moving forward with what God has for your life. You know, looking at him and saying, you know, does this please you, God? And many times he lets you make your own decisions. Actually, every time he does. And sometimes he says, you know, I've enabled you to make a good decision. I'm within you. You know, just give it to the Lord and and make the decision from the smallest ones to the biggest ones. And for God's sake, let his goodness shine. You know, let, let his goodness shine. Don't be afraid to talk about you know, I, I, I get really shy around people. Like, what do you do for a living? Or, you know, you're new to town. What do you do? I'm the pastor. <laughs> I'm not as bad as I used to be. It's easier now because everyone already knows who you are, even if you don't know who they are. It's a good thing. You know, you're the pastor. I'm the, I'm the pastor. And, oh, why are you pa- What does that mean? That's what most people get nowadays. They don't even know what that is anymore. What's a pastor do? What do you do? Oh, you know, and I have this opportunity to share what I get to do. And I don't even know what it is half the time. Just kidding, I do. But then they, they goes into the questions of why. And don't be afraid to talk about the good things that happen in your life. You know, don't be afraid to say, you know, praise the Lord. <laughs> don't be afraid to say those those phrases. And it doesn't have to be weird. Like, you always hear old people say it, or older people, or or seasoned Christians say it. You know, and it's really easy to say it in church, right? It's really easy to say it at church. How about when you say, you know, someone says, oh, I've had a good day. Oh, praise the Lord, you know. If you ever call Frank, leave a message. Hopefully you don't get him. Get his answering machine. What is The first thing that you get his answering machine says, Hello, this is the day the Lord has made. Leave a message. And you know, it's all Frank. You know, it's, that's what he says. Certain 5 says, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. The works of God are good. The gifts of God are good. The commands of God are good. And obedience to God's commands are good. Sound good? Good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for you are good. Your steadfast love, your consistent, relentless love endures forever. Lord, from the beginning for forever, Lord, you are good. Lord, your goodness never leaves us. Lord, it never stops what you want. It never stops us, Lord. It never stops loving us. It never stops coming alongside of us. Lord, it follows us. It chases after us. It moves us forward. And so, Lord, we know that whatever we walk through, whatever we go through, Lord, you are with us and you are good. Lord, even on our worst days, Lord, you are still good. Lord, on our worst days, we can have joy because you are still good. And God, even in the best days, when we feel like a million dollars, when we're standing on that mountain and things are good, Lord, we just pause and remember, Lord, may you humble us before you and recognize, Lord, that you are still good and better than the feelings that we have in that moment. 
God, would your steadfast love continue to move us and propel us closer in a relationship with you? Would you continue to move us forward, O oh God, as we continue to conform, Lord, not to the pattern of this world, but into the likeness of Christ? Lord, would you help us to love? Would you help us to serve? Lord, would you just continue to open doors every day of our life, Lord, that we would have the opportunity to share with our kids, with our spouses, Lord, with our family on the phone, with our neighbors, with the friends around us, Lord, even the people that don't like us, Lord, would you just make it evident, Lord, that the joy of the Lord lives within us, that the goodness of God flows through us. God, I thank you that you are good and your faithful love endures for all generations. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today.